0: You're listening to the Dangerous Prayer Sermon Series at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ's likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray. Search us, break us, unite us, and send us. So yeah, we're just, uh, we're doing a little series called Dangerous Prayers. Uh, I'll, I'll mention this again here in just a minute. Uh, today we're uh, we're encouraging us uh, to pray to a prayer, prayer. Um, that we're saying break me, which I know that's, that's probably not the first thing you want to pray in <laughs> 2020, amen. Uh, so hopefully, Lord willing, by the end of the sermon, you'll be encouraged to, to pray this prayer with me. So, And all I'm going to try to do today, uh, using Psalm 51 as kind of a, a place for us to marinate a little bit, is so I, I want to talk about why, I want to answer that question, why pray this prayer? So we're not just doing this series um, just because we're just doing it. No, we're, I'm really doing this series because I want you to pray, and I want you to pray these prayers. And so uh, I feel like it's it's important, especially with this one break, me, that we talk about why. Why why pray this prayer, Lyle? And then secondly, I just want to spend a little bit of time of like, then what does this look like in my life? If, if God is doing this in, in me, then, then what are some things uh, that we'll see? So... That's all I'm trying to do this morning. So hear the word of the Lord. So normally I don't read the little small print that's right above your psalm, but this is one of those psalms where we kind of know the story, so I'm going to try to read the small print. It's a little rough on my eyes, so I might squint a little bit here, but for the choir master, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And then I will teach the rebellious, your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation, my tongue will sing of your righteousness Lord, open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is this, a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. And your good pleasure caused Zion to prosper, build the walls of Jerusalem Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, You may be seated. So if you are just joining us for the first time, uh, usually what we try to do every year is we want to start the year off talking about prayer. Uh, So we'll do one sermon, a series of sermons, and we'll just kind of um, unpack prayer. I know sometimes it can be something that brings a lot of shame and guilt in our life. And so anytime I teach on this, that's not my aim. It's not my desire. I mean, I think if the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life about prayer, then so be it, I want that. Uh, because my end goal, every time we talk about prayer uh, at the beginning of the year is for you to pray. That's it, I, I, I want you to pray. I think it's one of um, the most important uh, formative practices that you can engage in. It's uh, one of the most important practices that will literally change your life and um, grow your your communion and your intimacy with the Father. And so I don't I don't give a rip how long you pray, right? I don't think God gives a rip about that either. I, I think God wants to have a conversation with you. He longs to talk with you. He longs to be with you. And the way we have a conversation with God is through prayer. And so if you're someone who doesn't pray, then I want to encourage you to begin praying. If it's five seconds, so be it. If it's 40 minutes, so be it. I don't, I don't care. I want you to pray my encouragement for you is to book in your days in prayer. Start your day off and end your day in prayer. And so it's worth getting up early to do this. It's worth going to bed early to do this. This practice in your life will, I mean, I'm telling you, and I'm not overstating this as a pastor, a promise. It will change you. So that's why we do this every year. I want us as a body and individuals of this body to pray. And so um, this year, we, we decided to kind of like launch the year with giving um, uh, maybe content for prayers. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I, I need help praying. Uh, I just bought a, a, um, a little book um, at the end of Christmas uh, by a guy named John Bailey. He's an old guy that's already dead. Uh, wrote some prayers, and I think the title of it is a uh, uh, prayer in a daily, da, da, da. I, I can't remember the title of it, it's a blue cover, gosh, I'm so sorry, I should have, I don't have this in my notes, that's where I'm learning, I gotta write down everything for crying out loud, but basically, uh, it's a prayer from morning and evening, it's just a, it's a, it's, it's a written prayer, and so some of you might feel like, hey, that's not really praying, if you're praying someone else's prayer, and you need to make it more spontaneous, and You know, more on the fly, on whatever, and and if that's you, awesome. But my spontaneity sounds like this: God, help me, protect me, watch over me, give me a good day. Amen. (laughs) Right? It's like, which that's not bad to pray. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray that, and God is concerned about our daily lives. Uh, But I just find myself praying the same things that I prayed yesterday. So I need some help. I need someone to kind of expand my vocabulary, that's what the Psalms do for us, as well as other people can help us, and that's what this little book is doing for me. And so with that in mind, I, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging us and encouraging us to pray things that probably will stretch us. And that's what these dangerous prayers are. So if you, I mean, last week was search me. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty challenging prayer to really take Psalm 139 and the very end of that. It's, okay, God, I want you really to search me. Show me things in my own life. I'm blind to my own blindness, so help me see. I mean, that's a pretty dangerous prayer because I don't know about you. I don't I don't like finding out things about myself that I don't like about myself, amen? It's like, uh, I don't need to be reminded of that. Another prayer we'll look at next week, um, one of the two, I don't know if we're doing unite or send yet, but those are the two that will kind of land to, to end this, but... Unite us. Unite me. Get me of an undivided heart. Send me. And that's kind of scary. And send me doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you got to go to Africa. Send me, maybe just go to your next door neighbor for crying out loud. Amen. And get to know them and love them and care for them and see what God can use in your life and being present with them and how they can maybe possibly come to know Christ over 2020 just by you obeying the command send me, right? But today, (laughs) uh, we're going to talk about break me, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't know if that's the first prayer I want to pray in 2020, break me. I I like, use me. That's a little softer, amen? Uh, Watch over me, bless me, protect me, grow me. Uh, Break me, that's not a softball, amen? I I don't, you know, softball, supposed to be easy to hit that ball. I I struck out on softball pitch few times, so it's a little bit deceptive, um, but that's just a side note there, a, a, another lesson in humility in my life when I was in the 20s, um, but man, pray and break me is, is a, um, it's just the prayer we don't naturally pray, or we don't really want that, or at least I don't, so I think it's good for us to ask the question, why then, why La? why should I pray break me, why should I start 2020, this new decade, with asking God to break me? Well, to answer that question, let's do what Jesus often did, was that when someone asked him a question, he responded with another question, right? So he's the master communicator, and so that's what I'm gonna do. So why why pray this prayer? Well, here's another question for you. What do you want in life? I mean, really, what do you want in your life? I mean, I don't know if you're a, a goal setter or a resolution person ever you knew maybe you are maybe you're not it doesn't really matter because I I would put before you most of us when we come to the end of a of a year and the start of a new year we're we're doing some reflection on our life maybe a little bit maybe not much but a little bit we're doing something as far as like what do I like about my life right now what what went well last year what am I kind of wanting this coming year what do I want in life? Where, you know, what do I want as far as even my own growth and development? You know, what, what, what is it? What do I want in life? And I think the end of the year and the start of the year has a way of bringing that question to the forefront of our, our minds that we have a tendency to kind of forget about as the year goes on. And so I would say um, to kind of answer that question, I think you could answer it in one of two ways. I think you're going to live your life in one of these two ways. Or what you want out of life and you'll live this in um in one way is this is you can live your life uh that's all about you so you can live a life that's lived for self that's what you can do so what i want out of life even though you may not articulate this you know specifically but this is kind of like in there it's at play you can just live your life for self it can be about you it can be about your image your reputation your ego your desires your status your wants you want people to see you notice you say something about you whatever pursuit that you go after you're at the center of that pursuit and here's here's the thing sometimes I think we forget that's your default setting so you so you don't even have to sit back and and make that your pursuit you don't even have to sit back and think about what do I want in life? I don't want to live life for myself. The reality is is that's your default. <laughs> that's that's what you do. It's in every single one of us and we live in a culture that will not resist that way of living. Like, can I get one like yeah. I'm with you, right? Like it will just continue to fu- fuel that and it will pave the way for you to live life for yourself and it will continually give you this message that this is what's going to satisfy you. This is what's going to fulfill you. This is what's going to give you what you want. So, you, so even without thinking about what I want for my life, if I'm not even really given any kind of effort to think about this, this is your default. You will live life for self. And the end of that... What that life gives you is it always, always, always leaves you wanting. You're never satisfied. You're never content. Because it just takes a few minutes of reflection. Get your head up. Look around. And you will see that a life lived for self is a life that will leave you wanting. I mean, it's what David Brooks talks about in his, um, his book called The Second Mountain. He talks about, um, like, there's a stage in our life where we're, you know, usually early 20s, 30s, wherever it kind of hits us. We're going up this first mountain where we're just wanting to be successful. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to do something great. We want to get that job, land that paycheck, whatever it is. All of us kind of work this this first mountain, and then we get on the top of that mountain. Maybe we do have some success. Maybe we do get some notoriety. Maybe we do get recognized. Maybe we do get discovered, whatever it is, right? We, we get to the top of that mountain, and then we stop and we go, is this it? Is this all there is? I mean, I, I mean most of us have seen that Tom Brady video that was out several years ago, and thank God they got beat. Amen? Man. 2020 has started out with a bang. Hallelujah. The Patriots are gone. All right, so even though he's an impeccable athlete, I mean, 42 years old to do what he does is amazing. But you guys remember this video, man. You go, go to YouTube and watch it. You, you've seen it before. I've shown it here a few years ago. This is after one of his trillion, zillion Super Bowls that he won, right? He's at the, he's, it's like the next day they're doing some kind of interview with him and basically he just basically says, all right, I've, I've reached the pinnacle of my career. I've won the greatest thing you can win in football. I'm an MVP. I've got a stellar, beautiful wife. I have everything I could ever, ever want. I've got all kinds of money. I've got everything that a man can want in this world and I'm going, is this it? Is this it? Is this all there is? I mean, it's a really sad, heartbreaking video. Because he, he got to the top of that first mountain, and he's empty. See, what I think we want, or what I'm laying before us that I hope we want, is I think we want to we mature, we want to grow, we want a depth about us. We want to be weighty people. We want to be thick people, not thin people. And I'm not talking about weight, amen, right? You know, I'm talking about in character. Thin, waffling, weightless people. We want our presence to be life-giving. That the people that God brings in our path, that we have a lasting, eternal impact on their life. We want our life to matter. And if that's what you want, then that life can be described as as not a life lived for self, but a life that is lived as a gift for others. That's the satisfying life. That's the life that brings contentment. I mean, you know, yes, this is kind of what Jesus in essence is getting after when he talks about this idea in Matthew 16, forever whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. If you want to try to save your life and live for self, then you're going to lose your life. You'll never be content. But if you find a way of understanding how you can lose your life and give your life to Him and learn how to be a gift to other people, then that's where contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment are found. He says it again in Matthew 10 45, where He says, The Son of Man, for even He has come to be served, or not to come, it did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. His life as a ransom for many. So if you want a life that is maturing, that is deep, that is weighty, if you want a life of purpose, if you want a life that's cultivating humility and setting aside pride, if you want a life that's satisfying, that brings contentment in your life, then you're going to want to live a life that is a gift to others. And if that's what you want, then you're going to pray, break me. Because that's how God does it. That's the way of God. That's the path that God lays before us. There's always brokenness before maturing. There's always brokenness before closeness and intimacy with God. Brokenness always comes before blessing. That's what we see in that psalm. What do you say? What do you please with, God? What brings a smile on God's faith? What is it? Are ritualistic going through the motions of showing up on a Sunday or whatever it is and, you know, singing some songs and then just going living for ourselves? Does that bring a smile? No, this is what brings a smile to God's face. A broken and contrite heart. Brokenness is the kind of pathway and the way to where we can live a life as a gift to other people. So why? why? Why should you pray break me in 2020? Why should that be a, a re, reoccurring prayer that you're praying often in the next 12 months? Because it's what you want. It's what you want with your life. You want your life to have weight to it. Meaning, purpose, maturity. And God will break you. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, and I'm kind of messing you up here, Kevin. But I love what... i got two little illustrations here. So, Charles Spurgeon, um, pastor back in London, I think it was a long time ago. I was going to guess the years, and I'm going blank on them. Uh, But he he says this. Isn't it a curious thing that whenever God means to make a person great... He always first breaks them in pieces. And then he goes on, on the screen here, and says this. There, there's a man who the Lord meant to make into a prince. How did he do it? Why, well, he met him one night and wrestled with him. You always hear about Jacob's wrestling. Well, I dare say he did. But it was not Jacob who was the principal wrestler there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and put it out of joint before he called him Israel. And that word means a prince of God. The wrestling was to take all of his strength out of him. And when his strength was gone, or another way of saying that, when he was broken, then God called him a prince. This is what God does. That's why you pray this prayer. It's what you want. Another way of looking at this, or another way of kind of um, illustrating this, and you know, I wish I could come up with all these illustrations, but I don't. I usually steal most of my illustrations and. There's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. Amen. So uh, I could just own it. You guys would never know. So maybe I just start owning everything in 2020. And the understanding is, is that Lyle got this from somebody. All right? So let's just just state that. 2020 illustrations, most likely I got them all from somebody else because there's other people that's way more creative than I do. So I don't know if you know this or not, but there used to be a different way of doing film. All right? So some of us in this room, the only thing we know about pictures is this. And it was instantaneous, right? You snap a picture and you upload it. Like this is all you know, this is it. So it's like amazing. And it's amazing what technology's done over the last 10 years. Like this, this is a pretty stellar photo you can take from a phone, from a phone for crying out loud. Craziness, so you take a picture and immediately you upload that and you get to enjoy it. You know what I'm talking about? So was like, did some research, there's like 400 million photos that are uploaded in a day. 400 million, that's a lot of photos, amen, right? So this is what most of us, or no, not most, some of us only know. This is the world we are. Take a picture, instantaneously upload it. Others of us, let me see if I can find them, remember this bad boy, amen? (laughs) This was like, Oh, my gosh. And I know these are still, you know, out. I mean, this, you know, Polaroids are not like that archaic. We still get those. But when this was invented, oh, you thought Jesus had come back or something, right? It's like better than sliced bread. And so you know how this works. Like you take a picture, and it would pop out, and then you would lay it on a table, and you wait about three minutes. You come back. Is it clearing up? You know what I'm saying? It's like it was a whole beautiful process there. It's like so exciting. And so... um so, yeah, I mean, this is one actually with my dad and uh, our two oldest boys. And So, um, so yeah, this was a, a little um, invention that gave you instant photo with the Polaroid. And then um, a lot of us, not a lot, some of us in this room remember these, this bad boy. Here we go, all right? This is from my wife's grandma. So, look at this. All right, remember these little flash cubes? Some of you have no idea what this is, right? You know that building on uh, the corner of Shelbyville and Hurstbourne Lane? always call it the flash cube building. And some of you are going like, what? Younger generation, like, what's a flash cube? Uh-huh. So this is, <laughs> maybe you don't go, Hur. that's kind of weird, right? <laughs> but you'd have to go get this bad boy at Walgreens or wherever, you know, Kmart. I don't know if Walmart was in existence back in those days. Um, this is to, to get the flash so you can see what your you put that bad boy right on top of here, right? So there you go. And then you only have like, what is that, four, six pictures there? And then you would, you would have to load it. I, I had some film. I don't know. I must have left it at home. So, but this is what the film came in, in, this little box. You know what I'm talking about, right? You guys, it's like a little round thing. You'd stick it in the back there, wind it up. And then you'd take like 30 pictures, about 30, 35, depending on how many your, your little roll could hold. And then what would you have to do? You have to go get it developed, and that, that isn't like laying it down on your table at home, right? It's like, a, it's like a, a big process. You had to go to Walgreens, stick it in an envelope, right? Seal the envelope up and give it to them, and they'd have it for a few days, you know, for like weeks maybe, you know? Uh, and then you would pray and fast and say, God, please, man, I'd have a whole roll of like my foot or, you know, or an inappropriate picture that I accidentally got in there, right? Some of you... Yeah, I put one there on purpose, right? I mean, it's like, hey, give this developer some little surprise. So, but like the whole thing, just teasing things for a few minutes, but the whole thing would take a few days because why? They would have to go and like take it off site. They would, you know, it had to go in a dark room. There was like, you know, nine different chemicals that the photo had to go through. If somebody came in the room prematurely and exposed the film to light, there it goes. It's done. I mean, it's a long process in order for you to get your picture now share all that not only just to have some fun with you because it's good to laugh because you lose calories every time you laugh amen um here's what i think a lot of us want when it comes to maturing and growth and development and weightiness in our life we want this we want instant take a snapshot upload it but that's not how god works God does this. It's slow. It's a process. It takes time. And sometimes that means um, it's a dark space, a dark place, a dark season. And there's no guarantee or promise that that season will be lifted. But that's how he matures a, a man and a woman. That's how he grows them. He breaks them. It takes time. It's a, a development. It's a process. So yeah, it's a dangerous prayer. And maybe... Maybe it seems foolish to pray this, but I would say it's it's absolutely necessary. You see, we think things aren't useful when they're broken. Or I'll, I'll, I think things are not useful when they're broken. I throw them away. It's like we're not keeping it, all right? God thinks the very opposite. God thinks things aren't useful until they are broken. So why pray this prayer? Well, it's what you want. So if I pray this prayer then Lyle, um, what will this look like in me? What 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 will I begin to kind of see in my life? And that's where this psalm comes into play and I realize, guys, I'm not, I'm not doing a, a deep dive into Psalm 51. We don't necessarily have time to do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just touching the surface, and some of that's on purpose, obviously. Um, and I just encourage you, man, to, to kind of marinate in this psalm over the course of this week. There's a, there's a lot here that I'm not hitting on. But what I wanted to do is like, okay, if, if this is a psalm that's not David praying, break me, That's not what's going on in this psalm. Psalm 51 is a prayer of a broken man. It's a prayer where he discovers that what God wants is not my sacrifices or my burnt offerings, not me going through the the motions of that. What God wants from me is a broken heart, a contrite heart, a broken spirit, a contrite spirit. That's what pleases God. And so this is A prayer, not, a God, break me. No, this is a prayer where God is saying, I am broken. And we know this because this is one of the few psalms that we know the story by which this psalm was written. And I read it at the very beginning. We don't have this in all the psalms, but all the psalms are written out of a situation, out of a story, and we don't have all those, but this one we do. We know this story or this psalm was written in response uh, to him being confronted with his sin, Of uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then trying to cover that up by murdering her husband Uriah. So this is king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, sins in a great way. And he just kind of sits with it for about a year. Doesn't confess, doesn't repent, just kind of sits with it. And then David comes to him, I mean, not David, Nathan, a good friend and a prophet, comes to him and shares this story. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but you can go home and read it. It's in 2 Samuel 12 and 13. And basically at the end of the story, David realizes I'm the one that you're talking about here. And he makes the connection that he's the one uh, that has sinned against God. And this is what he says here in verse 13 of chapter 12. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned, I have sinned against the Lord. And so shortly after this, he penned this psalm, Psalm 51. And this psalm has been called a kind of a, a photograph of a broken man. And so if that's what this psalm has been called, then my, my question for this psalm this week has been, okay, like what do we see then? What, what can I see in my own life if God is breaking me? What, what will be uh, some signs that this is happening in me? And I just want to bring out two because I think they're in this psalm. The first thing that you will see is that you will you will be awakened even more and grow more in your awareness of how little we deserve. I mean, we're products of our own culture. I am. And we deserve, we think we deserve a lot. That we deserve happiness, that we deserve a good life, that we deserve a great job that we deserve, you know, to make good money. That we deserve to have a wonderful home, have great kids. And like we're products of our own culture, and in us is this kind of uh, rhythm or beat that I deserve this. I'm entitled to this but a man and a woman who is being broken by God will grow in their awareness of how little they deserve. And we see this here with David, and it's specifically seen in how serious he takes his own sin. I mean, he uses three different words to describe his sin. If you saw that, sin, transgression, iniquity, and he's trying to kind of like give a, a holistic understanding of what he has done against God. Not only do we see it in that, we also see it in how he, he owns his own sin over and over in those first few verses. What is the, what's the pronoun that's repeated? My sin, my iniquity, my transgression, my wickedness. There's no diversion. There's no excusing it. I mean, we, because I'm an enormous fan of personality profiles i am i am a huge fan and taking things that'll help us learn more about ourselves and how we can grow and develop and how we interact with people one of my favorites is the enneagram love the enneagram use it a lot with our staff and our elder team uh, primarily to kind of see vices in our own life that we need to grow and develop this this the stuff that we bring into relationships that's not very helpful, and so how do we grow and identify that? So I'm all for that. But what I see sometimes, guys, is that we'll use a personality profile to excuse our sin. I'm just a peacemaker, so I'm going to avoid the conflict. I can't help, help people, even if it means I'm smothering you you know what i'm saying like like it's just an excuse david doesn't excuse his sin he doesn't blame it on something he doesn't blame it on his temperamental wiring or blame it hey you know I was kind of you know struggling you know i'm 40 in the midlife crisis and just had to prove myself. i mean like no like he owns it he doesn't deflect he Realize this is my wickedness. Not only you see it in the way he owns it, not the way he describes sin, but we see it specifically also in that Jesus, I mean not Jesus, David doesn't kind of mutter up this quick forgive me of all my sins in some kind of generic general term, but what we see here is a very thorough, earnest repentance of his sin. And let me, let me just highlight a few look here david sees his sin as being written in a book a record's being kept and he longs for god to blot out that handwriting we see this in verse one be merciful be gracious to me god according to your faithful love according to your abundant compassion blot out erase wipe out my rebellion he says it again in verse nine turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt, erase it, take it out, get rid of that record, God. He goes on and he sees this sin as being a deep stain and longs to be thoroughly washed and cleansed by God. He says this in verse 2 when he says, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, purify me. Another similar word of cleansing and washing, with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He goes on and says again, he sees his sin as being robbers of his joy and gladness and desires the restoration of these things. We see this in verse eight. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 12, restore the joy of your salvation to me. See it again, he sees his sins as the cause of God's discipline. We see that in verse 8. The bones you have broken, and he desires to have that lifted. And lastly, he sees his sins depriving him of God's presence and God's spirit, and longs to be it to be reversed. This is not a prayer of someone who's lost his salvation. You can't lose what you cannot earn. It's a gift. Your salvation is by the grace of God, so you never, ever can be severed from your father but your sin can disturb relationship fellowship it can disturb intimacy it can disturb feeling and experiencing the very presence of god in your life and that's why david prayed in verse 11 do not banish me from your presence or take your holy spirit from me david sees and knows the seriousness of his sin which gives us a sign and shows us how how much he knows of little he deserves, like he's growing in this awareness that I don't deserve this. And that's why the beginning of the psalm does not start off, God forgive me. It starts off with God have mercy, be gracious to me. Because I don't deserve your mercy and I don't deserve your grace. So break me, How do I know, like what what do I see in me? What's going on in me? You begin to see more and more and realize more and more how little we deserve. But there's another side, like both of these have to be held together because if we just stop there and that's all we think on, how little we deserve, then that just leads to despair, doesn't it? That just leads to self-loathing. And that's not what we want with a broken, contrite heart. That's not what we're after. We're after not despair, but dependence. We don't want me to be more and more dependent upon our Father. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to have a depth to us. We want to have a weight to us. And so if all I stay at is I grow in awareness of how much I don't deserve. That that's just going to lead me down to a really dark place that I don't want to go. So that's why we've got to balance it. Not balance it, but we've got to hold this other truth And in place also, because this is also happening at the same time. As a heart that is broken grows more and more aware of what it does not deserve, it also grows more and more aware of what it's received. What it's been given. I mean, we know that David is forgiven of this wicked sin that he did against God. We know that, yeah. God doesn't wipe away the consequences. The result of his sin, a a child is Dead, an infant is born stillborn. She dies. I mean, his family relationships as a result of this adultery and murder and cover-up is is a train wreck. I mean, to read the rest of his life, it's, it's not good. So the consequences were not taken away from David, but he was forgiven. Nathan said it immediately after David said, I have sinned against you god and he said you have been forgiven and it wasn't according to david's record right it wasn't according to david's past you know 20 years of like hey i've done a pretty good job for 20 years no it was according to god's steadfast unfailing love it was according to god's great compassion this thing that he is receiving that he doesn't deserve so so A broken heart, a contrite spirit is growing in awareness of what he does not deserve, but at the same time, is also growing in awareness of all that he's received. David knew in part, but we know in full. You follow me? David had a sort of a... a, a, A blurred understanding of what it is that he's looking forward to or crying out for. How can a guilty sinner be set free? How can a guilty sinner be forgiven? How can God answer his prayer when he asks him, please God, hide your face from my sins? How can that be true? Because God hid his face from Jesus on the cross. And we have a fuller understanding of what he was praying forward to. You follow me? So David looks forward to this mysterious work of redemption that a guilty sinner can be freely forgiven, that God can hide his face from our sins. But we look back to it, to this finished, perfect, completed work that Jesus has done on our behalf. That's what... And we see it all throughout the New Testament, but Paul says it really well in Titus chapter 2 when he says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Well, what is this grace of God that brings salvation that has appeared to everyone? What is this? He goes on in verse 13. The glorious appearing of our God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Similar language that's used in Psalm 51. And to purify, to cleanse, to wash clean for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. So a broken heart, a contrite spirit is growing in awareness of how much he or she has received And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian here, if you are in Christ, you have received much. Ronald Roheiser in his little book called um, Sacred Fire has a little section about pride here. And the whole section doesn't relate to this, but this last little sentence I feel like kind of captures what I'm trying to say here about us growing in awareness of all that we've received. I decided to put this quote in this morning, so it's not on the screen, sorry, Uh, so hang with me. Pride in the mature person takes the form of refusing to be small before God and refusing to recognize properly our inner connection with others. It is a refusal to accept our own poverty, namely, and here's the sentence, to recognize that we are standing before God and others with empty hands. That all we have and have achieved has come our way by grace more so than by our own efforts. So what does this look like, Lyle? If God is breaking me, what what, what am I seeing? Well, I'm growing in awareness that of how much I I don't deserve. And at the same time, I'm growing in awareness of how much I have received. That I'm both lost, but I'm loved. I'm a saint and a sinner, right? Not either one, both. That's what's happening when God begins to, to break you. So yeah, maybe it is kind of a gritty prayer. Maybe it is a little dangerous. But if I want to live, and if you want to live a life as a gift to others, then this is what you'll pray. So if you're not a Christian here, um, man, first of all, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. I know it can be a little intimidating to come into a place like this and sing and say and read things that you may not fully believe, and that's okay. Okay. And maybe this is not a, um, a great PR <laughs> um, to be in relationship with Jesus, but I, but I do want to invite you. There's no, there's no greater person to live your life for. And I do want to invite you to pray this prayer to break me. The reality, this may not be good news, but um, it's true. Right? The reality is we're all broken. We all need healing, and we all need a physician. And Jesus is the great physician, and he will heal you. So come to him. Give your life to him. The invitation of the gospel is not just come and live. It's actually come, die, and then live in and through Jesus. That's what God is inviting you into If you're not a Christian in 2020, come, die, then live. If you're a follower of Christ here, then I just want to end with this, since I took my ending of Charles Spurgeon and put it at the beginning, so i got to end with this part. Um, I mean, I want you to pray this prayer. And so it, it can have kind of two versions maybe. So, if last week Tony talked about search me, and so if we prayed that prayer, I'm going to guess that the Holy Spirit brought something to your mind that you may have been blind to. And so, over the course of this next week, or even this month, or over the course of this year, ask God to break you of it. Break you of your pride. Break you of your self sufficiency. Break you of your uh, always grasping for control. Break you of your, um, this is the one for me, like sins of withdrawal. Where your evasion, workaholism, conflict avoidance, failure to empathize, all those are kind of sins of withdrawal. Break you of your duplicit nature. Or you say one thing to somebody and then you kind of go and say another thing to someone else. You don't call it lying. You kind of call it fudging the truth, so to speak. But all you're trying to do there is just kind of keep peace inside yourself. Make sure everybody else is just pretty happy and thinks pretty well of you. Lord, break me. Fill in the blank. Be specific. Others of us, uh, the version of this prayer may be more, um, Lord, help me. Because maybe you're in a season where you are being broken. Or maybe you're coming out of a season where God broke you. And so maybe just a simple prayer for you during this time is, God, help me to trust you. Help me to trust your heart when it's hard to see your hand at work. God, help me to know and believe that you're doing something here, that you're working for my good. God, help me to see how you're using this to be a blessing and good for others. Yeah, maybe your prayer is just a simple one. God, help me. I'm broken. And so this is how I, I want to end. Um, I want to I just give some space for us to pray, to pray This. And so Ellen and the guys are going and the ladies, sorry, they didn't want me to leave out the ladies, are going to come up and, and lead us in the last couple of songs. But I just want to give us some time to pray this prayer, break me. And I hope that God's given you something specific that you can fill that blank in with. And then I'll come back and um, transition us to communion. So let me pray for us. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.